The modern hospital setting exposes patients to a vast array of chemicals, some of which are therapeutic, others which can be particularly harmful. What are we doing to limit exposure to these harmful chemicals for vulnerable patients and for medical professionals working in hospitals every day? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guests today are Mr. Gary Cohen, Co-Executive Director of Healthcare Without Harm, an international campaign in support of environmentally responsible healthcare, and Dr. Ted Shuttler, Science Director of the Science and Environmental Health Network and Science Advisor to Healthcare Without Harm. We are discussing the impact of modern chemicals on the health of our society. Gentlemen, could you give us a brief background on Healthcare Without Harm? This is Gary Cohen. Healthcare Without Harm was started 12 years ago when the Environmental Protection Agency was reporting that medical waste incinerators were the largest source of dioxin emissions in the United States and also a major contributor of mercury pollution. And we said at that point that given that healthcare professionals take an oath to do no harm, the Hippocratic Oath, we said that they need to be involved not only in cleaning up their own house, the hospitals in which they operate, and not contributing to environmental pollution in our society, but actually leading the way toward operating and building healthier and more sustainable buildings that promote healing and health in the broader sense of the word. And what exactly is the organization Healthcare Without Harm? Healthcare Without Harm is an international campaign that is a coalition of many hundreds of organizations now operating in over 50 countries. It includes healthcare professionals on the inside of hospitals, doctors, nurses, purchasing agents, designers, etc. And it includes people and advocates outside of the hospital setting who are concerned with the proliferation of toxic chemicals in the broader society and its impact on people's diseases and health conditions. It includes people that have health conditions like breast cancer survivors, people concerned about learning disabilities, and a whole set of other, other diseases. And Dr. Shetler, I know you've been extensively involved in environmental health initiatives. Could you expand upon that? Uh, yes, this is Ted Shetler. Well, a number of years ago, when I was practicing medicine, it became increasingly clear to me that there was a real disconnect, not only in my practice, but in medicine in general, a uh, disconnect between our medical sciences and our medical practices and, and understanding how they were linked to environmental conditions, the environmental context in which we are born, develop, grow up, grow old, get sick, and ultimately die. Intimate connections there that were never taught to me in medical school, and as it turns out, are not taught to very many people in medical school at all. So the last number of years of my career have been dedicated to trying to understand those links and to bring those links into the awareness of people both in medicine and in public health and in other professions as well. And how are both of you gentlemen doing this? Well, this is Ted Shetler. Uh, much of my work is being done in Healthcare Without Harm, the campaign that we've been describing. I also do it in, in other ways through attempts to bring this material either in books or in lectures 
to medical audiences, to public health audiences, and to the general public, who then find ways to bring this information into policymaking across a broad array of topics. And in fact, trying to recognize the existing links, really, between people who are outside of medicine and people who are inside of medicine that we really haven't taken advantage of, but really should take advantage of in order to make this a much more broad sort of society-wide initiative. Is the awareness being made to the public as well as the physicians and the nurses and the staff in the hospital? Uh, I'll answer that. Within the context of our work, we did a lot of work to educate the public about the dangers of mercury in food products and why vulnerable populations and why pregnant women and small children should be concerned about mercury levels in fish and other products. And so we got involved in a number of efforts around the country to ban mercury-based thermometers, first in different cities and then in different states as a broader education effort around the dangers of mercury. And of course, we also work with the major pharmacy chains in the United States and hospital systems to also phase out mercury-based measuring devices. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guests today are Mr. Gary Cohen, Co-Executive Director of Healthcare Without Harm, an international campaign in support of environmentally responsible health care, and Dr. Ted Shuttler, Science Director of the Science and Environmental Health Network and Science Advisor to Healthcare Without Harm. We are discussing the impact of modern chemicals on the health of our society. Gentlemen, there's been a lot of news about thimerosal and autism, the possible link between the two. What do you think? This is Ted Shetler. I've followed this literature quite closely and, of course, have followed the uh, debate quite closely. I'm as undecided and uncertain about this as most people are. But what's interesting is that there's some new evidence that's beginning to emerge that suggests that there may be a small subgroup or a subgroup, and I don't know how small it is, of children who may be particularly sensitive because of underlying biological features that they were born with that might make them more sensitive. But from a different perspective, what I feel much more certain about is that we should not wait until this question is resolved with certainty. Thimerosal contains a known neurotoxin, and there are alternative ways of preparing vaccines so that we do not need to be giving kids in the United States vaccines with any thimerosal in it. And so we shouldn't be doing it. That's entirely in keeping with the policy recommendations of the American Academy of Pediatrics and other professional organizations. So I don't think we need to wait for proof that thimerosal is damaging kids before we stop giving kids a known neurotoxin. Uh, The vaccines that we give now, do they have thimerosal in it? Many do, but they also are made without thimerosal. Every childhood vaccine is made, there is an alternative on the market that does not have thimerosal, including the flu vaccines. And what we need to be doing is insisting, parents can insist when they take their child in for vaccinations, that their child be given a vaccination, a vaccine without thimerosal. The problem, of course, is that this isn't available in all countries because the thimerosal is in there for a very good reason. It's there as a preservative, and if 
if we're thinking about developing countries where refrigeration may not be readily available, the thimerosal or an alternative preservative is essential. Uh, and so what we really need to be doing so that this doesn't become a matter of injustices where some children who, because of where they live, get a thimerosal-containing vaccine and other children do not, we need to be developing alternative preservatives so that no child in the world is given a vaccine that contains thimerosal. At least in the United States, although we have not proven the relationship between thimerosal and autism, absolutely. Certainly the anecdotal evidence and meta-analysis evidence is very persuading. Why wouldn't we just use all vaccines with no thimerosal because there are alternatives available here? Well, we should be. We should. That's exactly what we should be doing, is using vaccines without thimerosal. And we need to just get on with the business of transforming this very important public health intervention so that it isn't administering a neurotoxin to kids. And there's a broader point here as well that goes beyond thimerosal, which is that for many of the toxic chemicals and products that are on the market, there are safer alternatives. And so we shouldn't be further exposing people to toxic chemicals when we don't need to be, when there are safer alternatives on the market. We made the same claim around the IV bags and tubes, is there's one set of IV bags that are made with PVC plastic, and it leaches a reproductive toxin called DEHP out of that plastic directly into the veins of patients. And there are alternatives on the market that don't use PVC and don't use this other reproductive toxin. So why wouldn't you be using the safer alternative if it's cost competitive and it has the same performance? That's true across so many different product categories, and it's a matter of creating the demand and the consciousness to say we want those safer products. What has been the roadblocks in terms of getting these safer alternatives being used exclusively? I think the biggest roadblock has been educating people about the problems and then creating the collective demand and purchasing power to drive that innovation in the marketplace. And one of the things that Healthcare at Harm has focused on in a large way is to collectivize the purchasing power of many different healthcare systems to specify safer and greener products and then use their purchasing power in the marketplace to get them and to demand them and to change the supply chain. And we've done it with cleaning products and we've done it with IV systems and we've done it with measuring devices and we're doing it with building materials and safer electronics and cleaner energy and a whole broad set of topics. We certainly know that widespread use of chemicals affects the vulnerable patients uh, with respiratory diseases, neurologic diseases, immunocompromised patients. But what about the potential effects on doctors and nurses and those staff that work in the hospitals every day? Is that a concern? This is a very important issue because, as you point out, this is the workplace where health professionals and support staff go every day and spend a good portion of their day. So it's another workplace issue and has often been neglected from that perspective. It's quite interesting. We participated in an effort to do a kind of straw poll of nurses, for example, to get some sense of both what they were exposed to in their nursing practice, but also what some of their health histories looked like as a way of simply perhaps making the case that nursing as an occupation 
had some hazards and risks associated with it that had not been given much attention. And indeed, it's exactly right. I mean, some of the exposures like waste anesthetic gases have been described for a long time. But there are many other exposures to pharmaceutical agents, to cleaning agents, to pesticides, to sterilants and disinfectants and so forth. They carry real risks with them, and this is a group of people who are disproportionately exposed. I want to thank our guests, Mr. Gary Cohen and Dr. Ted Shuttler. We've been discussing the impact of modern chemicals on the health of our society. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill. And you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.